y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Encounter Revival podcast brought to you by YOM Reading. We hope you feel blessed and encouraged by the time that we're going to spend together today. Grab a cup of coffee and grab your Bibles and we're going to open up and sit in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about bringing revival into our relationships and our purpose as Christians on earth. And if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, our base director, Jaken, did a super awesome multiple part series on intimacy with God and praying like Jesus kind of all mixed into one. So be sure to check those out from the last couple weeks and stay tuned. You know, I heard a sermon on this actually back um, multiple years ago. I think it was in 2013 in my home church back in Colorado. And we talked about going into the biblical stories of what Jesus says us as believers are, what Jesus says our role is. And a great example of this is in Matthew chapter 5. In um, verse 13 to 16 is that passage where it talks about you were the salt of the earth, you were the light of the world. And, and I, I could go through and read that, but I really just want to sit on Matthew 5, 13, where it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now that's a really easy passage to just skip over. You are the salt of the earth, you know, something we can just move from. But when you really sit and meditate on what the salt of the earth is, it really perfectly, Jesus is defining every sphere of our role as believers in bringing the kingdom come from heaven to earth, which friends is exactly what our world needs right now. It needs heaven to come to earth because heaven is hope and heaven is joy and heaven is peace and is understanding and is justice and mercy. And man, that's what Everything our world is fighting for is those very things, and we are the bringers of heaven to earth. And so that's where we're going to really sit today is in Matthew 5, 13. And we're going to talk about what salt does and how that directly correlates to us as believers. So we're going to just start right there is what does salt do? And I want to think about this in, in the context of a table, in the context of a dinner table you know salt is is the one thing that's there all at every meal with every plate and every bowl and cup and napkin and fork and knife salt is at the dinner table too and so as we're processing through what these things are I want you to think about your dinner table even that one in your very home in your very apartment that physical place because Jesus is saying that we are capable of being salt in the lives of people at our table And we're going to break this down a little bit more. But the first thing I want to talk about, the first thing that salt does is salt preserves. So when Jesus is saying you are the salt of the world, he's actually saying you are the preservative of the world. And if you think about that by saying that we're the preservative of the world, it means that the world is falling apart. Because if it was preserved, it wouldn't need more preservative. But by saying you are the salt of the world, he's saying we're the preservative of a decaying world, a world that's falling apart, it's rotting, and every single day is becoming what feels like further from its original design. Of course, with the revival that's coming, though, friends, man, we're moving back. But 
Jesus is saying it's rotting. But you, you are the salt and you can stop that. I mean, thinking of the context of like, how many of our houses stay clean on their own? Unless you have a robot that does everything by itself, which it still need a vessel to move. It doesn't stay clean by itself. Your counters don't wipe themselves after every meal. Your cars don't stay clean on their own. Our relationships don't go well when we neglect them and leave them alone. Man, how about even our bodies, y'all? Like, all of us at the gym, when you see people at the gym, we're not trying to further this process of decaying. We're trying to slow down our death rate. There's no reason why I would want to voluntarily run on a treadmill. And honestly, to say it, like, pretty precisely is we're all just trying to slam the brake as hard as we can and slow down death because we all know that we're falling apart. We're all getting old. The death rate is still one per person and we're all just trying to slow this process of decaying even in our own physical bodies down. But again, Jesus is saying the world is decaying, but you can stop that. You know, so let's think about that back at the context of the table when Jesus says this world is decaying and you can stop that. To those of you who are married, your marriage in this world without the presence and the essence and the lifeblood of God, it'll get worse on its own. But you, as the salt of the world, can stop that. To those of you dating, to your friends dating, your acquaintances at your table that are dating, their relationships will get worse on their own, but you can stop that. To, to kids, your kids won't grow up to be saints on their own, but you can help that. Your friends and your family and those acquaintances that would say yes to a coffee with you, to a dinner with you, to a breakfast with you, those people in your life, in your even in your contact list on your phone, who would say yes to an opportunity to sit at a table with you, their life will naturally decay on its own. But you can stop that. So what Jesus is saying is what is true of God, being the great bringer of hope, bringer of eternal life, is true of you. Because God is in your heart when you, as a believer, put your trust in Jesus. From that very moment, you know, he says, I'm sent to you a companion, a spirit of truth. Because God is in your heart that moment we accept him. And so Jesus is saying what is true of God is true of you. You are the preserver of the world and you can stop the decaying and the breaking of those around you spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. You are the preservative of the world. So now let's think about if you do believe that, what, what Jesus is saying that what is true of God is true of us, what would you have done differently at your dinner table yesterday? What would you have said differently to those sitting at your table that you didn't? What would you have, have done differently or spoken differently that you didn't if you actually believe that you were the preservative of the world? The next thing I want to go into that salt does, and um, this one's probably my favorite one because I love food. Food's such a passion of mine, and What's so cool is if I just put a burger on the grill and give it to somebody and then I put the exact same burger on a grill, put a little bit of salt on it, that burger with just a couple grains of salt is so much better than the original burger. And so I kind of want to not talk about the food in this, but that, that effect that salt has to bring flavor. 
Salt is, what's the chemical compound of it? Sodium chloride. Yeah, I was right. Okay, I had to do a quick Google search. What's so cool is that very multiple grains of salt, this multiple grains of sodium chloride brings out the natural flavors of the food. You know, when, when I'm eating this perfectly cooked burger that my dad just brought off the grill on Sunday afternoon during the football game, I never say, wow, dad, this is really good salt. <laughs> I say, wow, dad, that's a really good burger because salt brings out the best natural flavors that the food carries itself. The salt doesn't all of a sudden create these flavors. It brings them up and brings them out to the surface. But this also actually applies in relationships. People who are salty in the sense of what Jesus is talking about, you know, won't be the people that that you're sitting down with at the table. And when you walk away, you walk away and you say to yourself, oh man, that person is so great. That person's so awesome. I wish I was like them. I'm a failure at life. They're accomplishing so much. They got an A on this exam. They've been to this nation. They've been to that nation. And you walk away just feeling so less of yourself and so down on yourself. That person is not the salt. What it means to be salt is to bring out the best in that person that you were sitting with. So that person walks away from that conversation, from the person who is true salt, they walk away wanting to be a better version of them. They walk away feeling encouraged. They walk away feeling inspired to be the best version of the unique person and creation that God made them to be. So in a practical sense, what it doesn't mean to be salt is to sit and say that, lo- that word that we love, I. Yeah, this is what I do. I accomplished this. My kids did this. Oh, when I parent, I do this. Yeah, when I read, I do this. I, 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 I. And they dump on your plate everything awesome that they do, that they have seen, that they accomplish, or that they feel. That's not what salt does. In the context of this, people who are salt will sit and they'll say, Tell me how you're doing. Tell me about what you've done, what you've seen, what you've experienced, what's unique to you. Because that person who is salt actually believes that you know something that they don't know. That there's something great that God the Father is doing in that person. And the person who is salt wants to figure out what it is. They can look in your eyes and They see the gold in you and they want to pick at it and bring it to the surface. They want to fish all of that goodness out because they see it there. And they acknowledge how unique it is. And they'll sit and they'll say, tell me more. Oh, tell me that. Wow, that's so unique about you. I didn't know that. Like, explain that to me more. Wow, how did you experience that? They'll even maybe physically kind of lean in like they're holding this precious artifact that is simply you speaking because they're looking to find the spark of what God is doing in your life. They want to see that little spark and they want to fan it into flame. They want to breathe the oxygen that's needed to be breathed on it. And when you walk away, that person will walk away feeling empowered. They'll feel like their natural gifts, their talents, their attributes, these things that God naturally has already put inside of them will just be expounding with hope 
and with joy and confidence of this is who I am and I'm unique and their flavor will be resonating and it they're not going to want to hide and, and mask it or, or see jealousy of who they want to be and what they want to look like, but they're going to walk away empowered and confident in who they are. So we've talked about the two, so we've talked about some of the properties physically that salt does, that it flavors and that it heals. But actually, if we dive into the Old Testament of the Bible, we'll find that salt was actually used to seal a relational covenant. So we're going to go into Numbers chapter 18, verse 19. And it reads this, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I then will give to you and to your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of the salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. And actually in this passage, to give a little bit of context, this is actually talking to the Levites, the priests. And when you're understanding more of this context in the Old Testament, people would bring their tithes and, you know, their 10%, their first fruits, their offerings, and they would give it to God. And God would share a portion of it with the Levites, with the priests. And this covenant between God and between the Levites was such a strong covenant of relationship and back and forth and trust and promise that he said this is sealed with a covenant of salt. And we can kind of find more examples of this in 2 Chronicles 13, 5, um, where it reads, Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? Well, actually, this, this chapter in itself was talking about Jesus, who was, you know, the ultimate king of Israel, the descendant of David, who reigns forever. Um, but in the ancient world, salt was used to seal relational commitments and relational covenants because everybody knew, kind of in the same context to what we know today, that salt was a part of table fellowship, to have somebody over at your house for a meal, to share time together, to share... Um, you know, a home to share this food, to share family, you know, bringing people around what you've been given. Salt was very, very relational because it was only, it was very highly, not only, but very highly associated with that table fellowship. It's always on the table. And a natural part of what it means to be in a relationship with someone meant sharing salt at a table. Kind of like in our context today in America of like sitting down to sign, you know, sitting down with a notary and a stamp to sign a legal document. This is the same kind of context of what sharing salt was. It means, you know, this person has automatically entered in to a covenant relationship with you, not over just the sharing of the salt, but it's that depth of a commitment to that other person that is sitting at your table. And when we talk about it in that context, it's, it's really easy to disassociate that from ourselves. But I want to ask that, do you believe yourself that you are the equivalent of that? That you are the agent? You are the, the covenant salt? You are the agent that will be used to bring people into an eternal and unbreakable and everlasting relationship with God. 
And I'd hope you would believe it because Jesus says that you are just that. You are the agent that is used to bring people into an eternal, unbreakable relationship with God. I really want to hit that home because that's so cool. In Romans 1.16, it says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing, of bringing revival and bringing the kingdom of God to earth, then and you long to have an eternal impact, oh, then it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. You need to not only receive the gospel for yourself and share the gospel for the sake of others, but you need to embody the gospel, the good news of Jesus in your life. Because that is the living covenant. That is the living thing that will bring people into a relationship with God is the gospel of Jesus. And that's the kind of salt that Jesus is talking about. You know, we're not just bringing people into a covenant of relationship, but a covenant of an eternal relationship from which stems perfect love and perfect peace and perfect joy and ultimately stems an eternity of communion with God. You are the salt of the earth. And normally, bringing somebody in on that relationship with God doesn't just happen by throwing salt at that person. It actually, as we know, starts relationally. It starts with making a room for, per- for a person who needs salt like that at your table. And we, I bet if we, you pause for five seconds, you could think of multiple people who need that salt, that hope and joy and love that Jesus brings. They need that. And it, and it means making room, setting up an extra place setting for this person at your table. And after, you know, this love and that conversation we just talked about, about adding flavor of tell me about you and, and processing who this person is and why God made them so beautiful. You know, week by week that passes of, you making a space for them at your table. Not, I'm not saying physically inviting them to every single dinner, but making that space for discipleship with that person in your heart and in your life. I, you know, week by week and year by year, they'll finally ask, like, okay, I just have to ask you, like, where did you get all this? Like, where did you get this love? Where did you get this care, this joy? Where did you get all your salt? So if you believe what Jesus says you are, If you did, then who would have been at your table this week that wasn't at your table? Who can you open up the door, open up the gate for an everlasting relationship with Jesus? Who wasn't at your table this week? Because you are the salt of the earth. And I know I'm like really hitting home on this table concept, but man, Jesus was such a relational person. His pursuit of people is so beautiful, and and that's the God that, that I know. We worship a God who is so relational and so intentional, and everything that we know is built around God's ultimate pursuit of bringing his children home. And how amazing is it that we have that same, you know, community with other believers who encourage us and lift us up in that fellowship, but if we stay in that place of just sharing salt with people who, you know, have their salt and maybe don't use it right, we're missing out on the people who are sitting alone at a table 
crying out for a meaning and a purpose and relationships and even the concept physically of the table. Jesus shared a final supper with his disciples before, you know, he went to be crucified and tried and persecuted. He shared a final meal even with the one person who would ultimately end up deceiving him and betraying him. He still sat at that table. And we get to do the very same thing and invite people into that place. And we'll kind of talk about that more. One thing that salt really does is salt melts ice. And so I guarantee when you pause and you think about people that are at your table, probably somebody that will come into your mind as a person who, you know, is just so cold to the gospel, is maybe just so cold to the ways of Jesus. I know even I have people like that in my life that, I just say, oh, they've been hurt too much. They've, they've, they've been deceived too far. And their heart is just so cold that there's no way they'd ever, ever be open to it. But salt melts ice. And Jesus is saying, you are the salt. And if that person with the heart that is ice layers deep, so deep and so hardened over to the things of the Lord and of Jesus and the work of his hand, that if that person spends enough time with you, the salt of the earth, at your table, even the iciest of hearts might melt and warm up to the things of God. Do you believe that? That you have that power? Because Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Another thing salt does is heals wounds. You know, in biblical times, salt was actually what was used to heal, to heal a wound. And of course, we don't do that anymore. Thank you, Jesus, that when I came home from, you know, like our equivalent, when I came home from sports as a kid or from riding my bike and I fell down and got a little bit of scratch with some gravel in it, my mom would pour hydrogen peroxide. And if you weren't so lucky, alcohol in that wound to clean it up and to, you know, kind of start that process. And can you imagine if you came home and your mom poured in all that salt on your, oof, not, no, 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 not fun. But our equivalent of that is that hydrogen peroxide. Now, I still hate pouring hydrogen peroxide on my wounds. My senior year of high school, it was homecoming week, it was powder puff football, and I was, you know, what salt was like, the varsity the best powder puff football quarterback there ever was in history ever, which was not true. And we were playing a game and I went to kind of swerve, super cool juke move, totally like something you'd see in the NFL um, around this other girl. And she bumped my knee um, and I just came skidding into the ground and just got this pretty like decent rug burn on the turf that was just kind of bleeding and really rubbed wrong. And had some turf in it and eventually you know one of my best friends drove me up the hill of course to my mom's house and we got there and she started to pour hydrogen peroxide in it and my other friend is just having to hold me down as I'm squealing in my low pain tolerance of this hydrogen peroxide in my tiny little um, rug burn essentially but you know that that very thing is what salt does that same concept of beginning the healing process now when you're a kid and you you know you scraped up your knee a little bit you don't walk in the house go or some kids might walk in and go mom I hurt I hurt my knee 
but you want to try to cover up the rest of the pain that you're going to experience in healing. You know, we walk in and, and we're not wanting to be vulnerable and we're trying to hide this wound and we're trying to cover it up so that mom doesn't get there to pour the hydrogen peroxide in. But eventually, you know, to begin that healing process, you need to become vulnerable and, you know, take your hand off the wound and, and have your hands open and let that process of healing begin. And that same thing happens in relationships because everyone in our life is walking around with wounds. Everyone in our life is walking around with wounds. And I'm not talking just physical wounds. And even in that case, many of us are, but I'm talking wounds of the heart, wounds of the emotion, wounds of the soul. And everybody has the same kind of chronic thing of doing any attempt to hide and to avoid vulnerability. And even if you get down to psychology of our world and of people nowadays, you'll find that most people's personalities, most people's you know, really definite character traits and really profound things about them are a result of or even a cover-up of their wounds, be that from way in the past or even, you know, kind of presently something that they're walking through that they're holding on to and a really observant person will realize that there are more of these people that are sitting at your table in your circle, you know, than you might think and in your table, the context of your life, the people that God has given you, you know, more people that are walking around with those wounds than you might think. Maybe those people at your very table have never really had anyone come along and minister the healing love of God, that healing perfect power of God. The only thing that can heal a wound of the heart, maybe they've never had somebody want to bring them that permanent fix. You may have people at your table who've had an abuse in their past from early childhood to middle childhood to young adulthood to their teenage years that's affecting them presently and they still function perfectly and they still can go on through life but they're carrying this baggage, they're carrying this weight that's holding them down and bogging them from perfect freedom to an extent that maybe they wish it wasn't. And you probably have people at your table who've had great parents who, who love them, but maybe that, that person had never heard the word that every man, every woman, and every child longs to hear of, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. And maybe they're kidding themselves to not think that it's affecting them, even now. Because only the love of God can heal a wound and it only happens when a person holds it up with open hands, becomes vulnerable, becomes undefended, open. And when the love of God gets administered there in outstretched hands saying, here's my baggage, here's my wound, here it is, as shameful as it might feel with tears running down your eyes, that's where the healing happens. It doesn't happen in defense. It doesn't happen in hiddenness. It happens in the open. And someone who understands that they're the salt of the world will sit with people at the table of their lives 
and they'll create a safe environment. They won't jump to quick judgment. They'll listen well, and they probably won't even say much. Because really profound things happen in places that feel safe. You act a lot more uniquely you with, you know, the people that are super close to you. Maybe you're a little more goofy with your best friends than you are with your acquaintances because you're safe in that place. And that very place of safety that a person who understands that they're the salt of the world will create an atmosphere where things can come to the surface. Because this person who knows what it means to be the salt won't quickly try to prescribe something. They won't quickly try to find a fix that's going to work temporarily, but they'll sit and they'll listen and they'll let things come up and they'll let some messy things become open even if it's the first time that person was vulnerable in 20 years. The first time they'll start talking about stuff that are deeper for them, stuff that, you know, that maybe they, they hide but in a safe place that's cultivated value and importance and they know who they are as a person. They feel preserved at your table. They feel flavored at your table. They feel cared for at your table. Their ice has been melted at your table. These things that have been hidden for so long and suppressed will start to come up. And the love of God will meet them right there. He'll meet them right there. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You can heal wounds that have been inflicted by the pain and the judgment and the hurt of this world. You can heal wounds. You are the salt of the earth. And if you're not paying attention yet, you're going to want to on this last one. Because another thing that salt does is salt kills. Salt preserves, we've already covered that, but salt preserves because salt kills. It's actually breaking down the organic living matter and kind of in a way freezes it. And that's why things that are preserved doesn't decay. You know, when you cure um, ribs or meat or some kind of food, in salt, it can sit for a long time and, and age and collect that flavor without rotting. You can't dry age a steak just normally. It needs something to cure it. And when you cure it with salt, it won't decay because in a way it kind of freezes. And the reason salt preserves is because it kills. And you can go into the Old Testament and find times when a city would be conquered and the conquerors would then end up covering an entire city with salt so that nothing would ever grow in its place. They'd sprinkle it on the ground and they'd cover it so not only would lives be destroyed, but so would the physical ground of that place. And in Jesus' time, in the ancient world, if salt would lose its flavor and become less salty and kind of 
you know, pick up the flavor of the other minerals it was around, they would take it and throw it out on the walking paths to be trampled under people's feet. You know, and this thought of, well, when it's trampled here and put here, it'll prevent grass from growing and other things from growing. So it would create a perfect and designated walking path. And some rabbis believe that the reason the word salt, the reason God used salt in reference to the relational covenants, you know, it being that object of relational covenant, is actually due to the dual meaning that it carries, that salt brings life, but at the same time, you know, it preserves, it adds flavor, but at the same time, it destroys life. You know, if you keep your covenant, it brings life, but if you don't, it brings death. If we keep our covenant with God and walk with him, it brings us life, but if we don't, it brings us death. But you know, there's something that still is so interesting about the way that Jesus talked about life. You'll probably hear the idea eventually of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus taught. In his time when he walked the earth, it was so unheard of and unthought for that they killed him for it. It was blasphemy. And even still to this day, the concept of, you know, the great powerful God dying on a cross is so twisted because we picture the coming of Jesus as what will be his second coming of power and might and perfect restoration and perfect peace. And it just seems even presently still so upside down, you know, missing the mark, not what we expected, twisted, confusing, abnormal, or any other definition you can use there. But Jesus says that in order for a seed to grow, it must what? It must fall to the ground and, and die. If it's to regrow into life, it must fall into the ground and it must die. And Jesus continues to say, I'm the life. And if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross every day and follow me. And all of the scriptures and all of the New Testament, we see this theme of if you want to be a new creation, if you want to be raised to new life, then you need to join Christ in his death and in his burial if you want to live the resurrection you can't pick the resurrection only and you can't pick the death only but if you want to be a new creation you need to join christ in his death in his burial and in his resurrection in fact the central point all in all of jesus teaching is if you want to gain your life you must lose it and if you want to have life, you first must die. I know it sounds crazy, right? But this is important because this is where you find the difference between imitation salt and the genuine, the real salt. Because imitation salt attempts to be salt, but it, it doesn't know Jesus. It's not routed around Jesus. And this is what the things of the world look like that says, you know what? You just need to believe in you. You are enough. You need to love you. You do you. You be you. I, that works for you. Congratulations for you. You love you. You define your status of good for you. That's imitation salt. Whereas the real salt, similar to what we talked about of the person who adds flavor, they don't just talk about themselves 
They actually don't even say you at all because they're centered around Jesus. Real salt versus imitation salt says Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When they say no, it's actually not all about believing in you as a person. But you have to trust in Jesus more than yourselves. We have to trust in him because he is the perfect, he is unfailing, and he is the reckless love of God. So when you look at those in a comparison, one appears to bring life, but it actually brings death. And the other appears to bring death, but it actually brings life. So the one that brings death is that imitation salt. You know, the one that's putting all of your trust and all of your hope and all of your future into this person that is finite and that's small and that frankly eventually will, will die. But the one that brings life, the genuine, <laughs> real salt, the genuine salt, calls you to lay down your life and put your dependence not in your finite self, but in an infinite God whose love is truly unfailing and unprecedented. And putting your, your hope and your trust and your future in the God who never fails, because then you'll be secure. So the question the question is, you're the salt of the world. He's in you. So will you hold it in? Will you share it with those at your table? Or are you going to let it out? Are you going to share it and invite people to come into relational covenant, into preservation eternity, into adding flavor to who they're created to be, to healing the wounds and to melting the ice? Will you bring the salt that brings the life that's focused on Jesus? I think a great example of life being transformed is one that I've just been wrecked by constantly in John 4 of the woman at the well. You know, when Jesus is passing through and, you know, typically, you know, the Jews don't, don't go through this town because the, Samarit the Samaritans are dirty and they want it, they, they walk around and the fact that Jesus and you know, these men are walking through the town is, is crazy. Typically, this town is one that's avoided. And they come in and, and you know, the woman is at the well and there's so much with the, the time of day, this, this person that this woman is. And Jesus comes and asks her for a drink and she's so taken aback. And kind of in a way, I, I don't view this woman as a passive woman. I think she's, you know, pretty back and forth with Jesus. And Jesus is talking about this living water that you'll never have to thirst again. You'll never have to thirst and come to this well again. And you know, this woman is so excited to get this living water that Jesus is talking about. And ultimately, you know, he tells her, I am he, I am this, the living water, I'm the Messiah. And, you know, I skipped over a lot of that conversation, but he calls out this woman on the things that she's done in her life. But he doesn't call it out in the way that the rest of the people in the town have. You know, the fact that this woman is at the well in the middle of the day shows she's kind of separated from society, that she's not coming in the morning or the evening when it's cool. She's there at noonday at the hottest part of the day getting water when nobody else is. She's kind of been exiled from this community and 
you know, Jesus, instead of calling her out on, on you've had this many husbands and you've done this many things wrong, it's actually focused in love on, yes, you've done this, but, but worshipers, true people are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And it doesn't matter where we worship anymore. It isn't kind of the context of it doesn't matter what you've done. And he's calling this woman out. He's bringing that flavor, that salt to her. But we actually don't really hear that this woman then goes back. Her story is she goes back to this town and begins to tell all of the people about this man because she's found so much hope in him. That's such a great example of salt being spread. Even in a context here of what we do at YWAM Reading, you know, we're sending young people to some of the most unreached parts of the world within the 1040 window to nations that young people normally would never step in but places that the lord is doing so much work regardless of what you see in the news and i had a great opportunity to sit in one of these countries which for safety reasons i can't name and i got to walk into a home of of a woman who comes from a muslim family with a Muslim husband and Muslim children and her husband leaves to go to a neighboring country weekly to go work and he's only home a couple days and and she's alone for the most part just living off of the of the money and the food that he's brought back. I got to sit with her and and our contact that was there and just watch this lady weep because she had accepted Christ on on her own and she had come to know through this person who is constantly inviting her to her table and constantly communing with her and constantly making a place for her at her table. This woman eventually opened this hurt and this this pain of all this abuse that she'd been walking in with her husband and hiding and concealing, brought it forth and laid it at the feet of Jesus and had been living as a secret Christian and all of her young children had been saved, but their husband, her husband didn't know it yet. And she was kind of living in this fear, and I got to sit and watch her take her full face covering off and unveil her hair and walk with us to the grocery store. And I took a picture of her in that doorway when we said goodbye, fully unveiled, just weeping because the power of this garment coming off of this woman, choosing the Lord and choosing this perfect peace and this perfect joy and value because somebody invited her constantly her table constantly invited her to share salt and was constantly telling them of the god of second chances and just as the story of the woman at the well of no you're not too far gone same with this muslim woman of no you are enough because jesus made you enough there are people friends at your table who need to hear that same story they don't just want the salt that's going to make them feel good Because the gospel doesn't really make you feel good at first. And in fact, the gospel is offensive. That's why it's legal in like 52 nations. But it brings life. It sounds like it brings death, but it brings life. And when we bring the salt that is not the imitation, it's the real salt that's Jesus-focused. You'll sit and you'll bring this place to your people that are at your table. You'll tell them of the God of second chances who loves them so much that he wouldn't even spare his own son to die on a cross for my wrongs and for their wrongs and for your wrongs, and that God promises anyone who can look to Christ and trust him of forgiving their sins and of leading their life, that he'll then eternally forgive 
you. He'll give you a second chance. And he'll enable you in things that you didn't even know you were capable of. And those people at your table will see a new depth of caring and a new depth of importance in their life and a new pop in their step. I had a friend who came with me to youth group in high school and just simply came to a barbecue at a friend's house. That was all it was, youth group Sunday. We didn't have a message. We didn't have worship. We were just fellowshipping over food. And I've talked about food so much in this. You probably already know where my passion lies in it. And we walked away that, that night two hours later and and this friend who had walked through so many things that, that a young high schooler was walking through that's just uncomprehendable turned to me and said, I've never felt so safe with strangers in my life. And she was telling me how throughout the night one of my friends you know, asked her, tell me your story. Tell me where you've come from and where you're going. And Granted, we had been going to the same high school, but they never really got the opportunity to actually sit and talk. We had a big graduating class, almost 600 students. And my friend said, when this girl leaned forward and looked me in the eyes, was like they were listening to the most important thing she's ever heard. And she left that night with a new excitement and a new pep in her step. And it all started because I made a place for her to come sit at the table of our youth group. And it all starts, all of the salvations, all of the people who found healing and found life and found purpose, it all starts because somebody, maybe 20 years, maybe 50 years, maybe one day ago, made a place for them at their table who needs it most, because you never know. We don't sometimes see the fruits of our labor, but months after months, years after years, five years, decades, 10 years, 100 years, generations, of being the salt for somebody, you may be able to get to be the salt to bring them into the greatest relationship they'll ever experience with God. So for those who are already at your table, be the salt for them. Don't ever underestimate what you are able to do in the lives of the people who would say yes to sit down with you at breakfast, at coffee, at lunch, at dinner, at ice cream. Don't ever underestimate what you'll be willing. Don't ever underestimate the power of what you can do in their very lives. Just over a cup of coffee. It's already in you, says Jesus. You are the salt of the world. You're the preservative. You're the flavor. You are the the vice of the relational covenant. You melt the ice. You heal the wounds. You stop things from dying. You are the salt of the world. It's already in you. So will you hold it in or will you let it out? So I just really want to challenge you guys this week to be the salt for somebody in your life. Maybe even practically opening up a space at your dinner table, taking somebody out to coffee, out to dinner, out to lunch, and pour into them and bring out their natural flavors that the Lord's given them. And of course, point them back to Jesus. From YWAM Reading to you, we want to say thank you for joining us today. We pray that you feel blessed and encouraged by the time that we've spent together. YWAM Reading is a nonprofit Christian mission organization, and everything that we do from our online podcast to our overseas trips is funded by people 
just like you who believe in our mission and our ministry. If you've been blessed by our time together today, please consider giving to our ministry through a special gift or a monthly donation. Visit us at ywamreading.org forward slash donate. And finally, if you want to be involved with us personally, we invite you to come check out some of our upcoming schools. We run several schools year round and have opportunities for you to join us anywhere from six weeks to three months to even full time missions. And we would love to see you at one of our upcoming schools. So check out ywimreading.org forward slash training to see more of these opportunities. May God bless you as you go forth and bring revival to the world.